Hello and welcome to the Around the Nation podcast for the week of Monday, December 12th. I'm Pat Coleman. And I'm Keith McMillan. And uh, we're down to the final two teams and the same two teams as uh, are in the previous six years. Mountain Union and Wisconsin Whitewater, the last two standing for the uh, Division Three National Championship, the Stag Bowl, Stag Bowl 39, to be played Friday night under the lights in Salem, Virginia. And, uh, you know, Keith, I guess, cut to the chase, first of all, uh, the question that everybody outside of those you know, two fan bases is wondering, is this good for Division Three? Is it not? Um, you know, the, the first thing, of course, we can tell you is uh, we told you so. These were the uh, number one and number two teams in our preseason poll, and, you know, they have been for uh, for years on end at this point. Um, and, uh, in fact, the four teams that played this past weekend in the national semifinals were number one, two, three, and five in our preseason polls. So in, in a sense... Keith, uh, a lot of the 2011 season came down to chalk at the end here. Yeah, and and there's people who consider that boring, and there's people who don't consider that boring. Uh, you know, I don't want to make a value judgment necessarily on whether it's good or bad to have you know the same two teams in there. I mean, I, I think there's some things that are the points that we can consistently make. It's good that the teams have to earn it on the field, and it's good that they get pushed. You know, you see through the playoffs, Whitewater hasn't really had the test this year, but every other year in the playoffs, you know, they play a close game or two close games, um, you know, to, on their way to the Stag Bowl. This year, you know, we've seen Mount Union get the test and, and Wesley, you know, gave it to him on Saturday. Certainly wasn't an easy win for them. I think we sometimes assume that it's uh, that that those two teams are going back. And because they've done it so well and they've been so consistently good, but the 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 cast changes every year. It's new to all these the, these kids on the Mountain Union team and the Whitewater team, and it's kind of, in a way, it's almost disrespectful to them to sort of to to blow off their achievement. At the same time, the bar is set so high by both of those Purple Powers that you know you do almost you know when we're deciding what stories to cover during the season. Uh, we pay attention to them during the season, but we sort of some things we put on on, on the burner, because, the back burner, because we know we'll come back to it during the playoffs because we know they're going to be around. Um, it, I can say this with de- definitively: it would be nice to see some fresh faces in Salem. You know, it's always um, I, I whenever I, I think of something in D three terms, and I, and uh, because I'm so involved in it, and I, I'm so you know f- pretty much for for the most part unbiased. You know, because I, I enjoy seeing every team have success and it's sort of weird um, because not too many people out there can relate to that. But, you know, Pat, you and I look at this from everything that happens pretty much is good unless there's, you know, some off the field incident or, or something like that. Right. We, we look at it from that perspective. And most of the people we relate to who, who follow through the site are very invested in one team or, or another. So um, I, I have to take take myself out of it and think, how do I think about the NFL? That, that's my comparison. And of course, I hate seeing the, the Patriots or the Steelers always go back to the Super Bowl, right? You, 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 it's boring to see the same teams win it. But at the same time, you can't you can't knock their achievement because it, it, the teams, especially in D3, had, have a chance to play them. You know, there's four weeks of playoffs. All right. So you're, you're talking about the 32 of the best teams in the country. You know, you get four shots at them and every single Mount Union and every single Whitewater team earns their way to Salem. And it, it's hard to begrudge them for that when everybody else had their fair shot at them and, and Mount Union and Whitewater withstand those best shots and make it back to Salem. The other thing I could say definitively is that it's it's good that it's not just one team 
having this run of dominance. Right. Because that's when it gets really boring, Pat. And, and I know you can relate to me on that, that, you know, even as we head to Salem, you know, there's a, there may be a favorite, but you don't know who's going to win. And it's been like that way the past six years, you know, there, you go down there and it's still going to be a good game. Every game is, except for the, the one 35, 16 game in there, every other game is within 10 points. They're tight games in the fourth quarter and, and, and you know, you get excitement out of it. So, I'll, you know, we haven't seen a, a, a bad stag bowl since 2002 and, and, and bad by meaning a blowout. You know, we, we've had really uh, entertaining games down there. And, and the, the thing from our perspective that's tough is that we, we, we can't disrespect the Mountain Union or the Whitewater fan bases by saying it's boring because we go down there. We, you know, treat it like the championship game that it is. And, and as people who enjoy the game, you know, we've been getting a good show out of it every time. So, we, we you know, I don't begrudge them that. And, and uh, I appreciate that they earn it. I think that's the the most important thing is that that part at the end because they've been good games. These teams have gone toe to toe with each other in a in a heavyweight uh, title bout kind of uh, kind of scenario. And you know, the one thing that, uh, especially at the uh, at the professional level, that all the other sports have that football hasn't had is uh, and and doesn't have is a ga- is a game seven. Now, this is obviously. Every championship game is, in a sense, a Game 7, but we're in a situation here where these teams have met each of the past six years, uh, and they've evenly split those three apiece. So this is the uh, the rubber match of a, essentially a seven-game series. Yeah, and I think in this case, you know, Mount Union comes in as the underdog, and that's something that you don't – those two words you don't hear, or those three words you don't hear in, in a sentence very often, Mount Union and underdog, but um, they lost the past two. You know, I know it burns at him a little bit because the goal in Alliance every year is to is to get to Salem and win it, right? To to win the Stag Bowl every year. So uh, the last two years they've had those dreams squashed. You know, and now there's a little not bad blood between the teams. I think they respect each other uh, in terms of having a challenge when they get to the top. That it's that it's nothing easy, and it makes it all the more impressive for for whichever team scales the mountain you know, to have to go through the other to win it. And that's what, as, as fans of the game, we can enjoy that, that the teams, every team out here earns it. Not, you know, nobody's skating through to the championship. And even if, you know, you go, you go through the whitewater season, they really only had the one tight game this year. Um, whereas Mountain Union said, I, I, what I would consider four tight games um, or at least three, you know, you fairly well, fairly I don't know what I'm trying to say. That I, I, I almost definitely expect there to be a good game on on Friday, and that's um, you know that's part of what makes it uh, I guess so endearing that the championship is uh, each team you know has to push itself to to earn it. And uh, for for the uh, for the Purple Raiders, the close game that uh, Keith mentioned was Saturday's national semifinal win against Wesley by the score of twenty eight to twenty one. Keith, a game in which uh, Wesley uh, held the lead at halftime, was the first team to outgain uh, Mountain Union in the first half of a game since last year's Stag Bowl. Um, and, you know, despite giving up uh, two touchdowns uh, in pretty quick succession in the third quarter, um, you know, got back into it. There, there We've seen so many uh, times, Keith, where a, a, a close game against Mountain Union in the playoffs is blown open uh, by to after one mistake in the second half, everything kind of unravels and it, it turns into a uh, it turns into a blowout. And, and Wesley did not do that. Uh, Wesley did not 
uh, rollover. Mount Union got a couple of scores to take the lead uh, and was up by 14 points for a, a good stretch of the uh, of the third quarter, but Wesley didn't give up. Yeah, and, and we always talk about that halftime being the point where Larry Karras and his uh, coaching staff makes those halftime adjustments, and that's when they blow teams out of the water. You know, they've been so great over over the stretch run, you know, since about 93 of taking it, you know, figuring out a team's weakness faster than than a other team can adjust to it, and then and then making those adjustments and applying them in the second half. And I thought uh, in this game, Wesley didn't get out coached. You know, they adjusted to Mountain Union as well. You know, Mountain Union scored uh, two pretty quick touchdowns in the beginning of the game and then didn't have any success the rest of the first half. And then same thing, scored two quick touchdowns at the, in the beginning of third quarter and then couldn't score in, in the fourth quarter. Uh, Mountain Union did have three turnovers, but but they they won the turnover battle. They were plus three on the turnover side. So, you know, Wesley, I, I thought they gave a good effort. And uh, I, I know I was a little critical right at the end of the game on, on Saturday because – uh, you know, they had some plays that they, they could have came up with on the final drive. They had the ball three times. Even if you take away the last the last drive where they didn't really have a lot of time to work with, uh, they had two solid drives in the fourth quarter down by seven points where they could they had a chance to, um, to you know, make it a tie game or, or you know, make it 28-24 or anything like that. And, uh, you know, Shane, you, you can't knock Shane McSweeney, put, put the ball uh, in, in the right places for receivers to go get it. The guy did have um, – you know, Wesley had six turnovers. He had four interceptions, and one of the fumbles was on him. But uh, those interceptions, a lot of them didn't didn't hurt him, Pat. And and you know, the, you could throw the number six turnovers out there and say, well, you never win when you have six turnovers. But Wesley had a chance to do it. Yeah, Wesley almost did. Um, yeah, let's talk about some of the turnovers for a second. One uh, one of the interceptions is a, a pass that deflects off of uh, off of his receiver into the hands of uh, the the Mount Union defender. Uh, one is a Hail Mary. That's basically at the end of the game. Um, you know, that's the kind of interception that would hurt you on your fantasy team, but the, the game is basically uh, out of reach at that point. Shane McSweeney is, is 19 of 33 passing. Um, you know, I can come up with uh, four pretty easy uh, catches that were dropped uh, right off the top of my head, two of which, um, and it just got me wondering about, uh, you know, the, um, Football in December, basically. The sun is so low in the sky uh, because, you know, because of the change of seasons and all that. Uh, there were there were two balls. One was a, a third down uh, ball, which would have been uh, in the in the fourth quarter, uh, which was dropped. It would have given him a first down, would have kept the chains moving. Uh, they ended up going for it on fourth down and not converting on the next play. Uh, and then the fourth down play, of course, which... Uh, uh, a lot of people talked about the uh, the pass that Jeremiah Howe dropped pretty much in the same spot of the field with uh, the receiver turning back, uh, looking at the quarterback and and with the sun with the sun in his eyes and the ball presumably coming out of the sun. That's a that's a that's a tough time of the year to to try to make that kind of catch. And I can't imagine there's a lot of things that uh, you know. I mean, other than you know like late afternoon practice or something like that, that's going to prepare you for the way things change. You know the way the sky is at at two thirty in the afternoon on uh, on December tenth, as opposed to on September fifteenth or whatever. Sure, and in in D three, when we talk home field advantage, there may not be big crowds. You know, sometimes there are crowds and there are fields in D three where the crowd is on top of you, but I, I don't think Mountain Union is one of those places where crowd is a big intimidation factor. You know, the intimidation is go into the, this play this team that 
that uh, has won all these championships, 10, and, uh, and looking for number 11 this year. And, you know, Wesley didn't, you know, wasn't intimidated at all. They've, they've played Mountain Union. They've played Whitewater now several times each. Um, so, so the intimidation factor wasn't there. But the home field advantage is maybe, maybe Pat, being familiar with uh, certain things like that, how the wind plays in that stadium, what the sun is like at that time of year. You know, almost every Mountain Union home game on, on – Every Mountain Union game in these playoff runs are always at home because they, they, for the most part, except for 05 and uh, there were a couple of years before that, you know, they're almost always undefeated in the regular season, which puts them at home. And then, you know, we've mentioned the cases uh, like last season, Pat, where St. Thomas had a chance to um, force Mountain Union to go on the road in, in the semifinals, it would have been, and, uh, and and lost to Bethel. And then, you know, so all, so many games are at home for Mountain Union, and that's uh, – um, that's maybe where their home field advantage comes in. But at the same time, that's a, that's kind of a, a minor thing. You don't, you don't want to, I mean, it's, it's easy for me to sit here and say, oh, well, you know, you, you should, should be able to catch the ball if it hits you in the hands, or if you have a chance to catch it and, and the sun's in your eyes, but that that's fine. That's excusable every now and again. But Wesley, you know, they, they so, had more than one opportunity to 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 win this game and uh, I, I think i mean you can you can just tell from you know either talking to people or, or reading their reactions on twitter or whatever the case may be their post-game quotes that that they're kicking themselves because they know that finally the the team is strong enough the type of guys they're recruiting is strong enough the effort uh for the most part is there and uh they just got to take advantage of the opportunity and play their best game when they're when they're playing out in union yeah you, you can't afford to to make mistakes, obviously, when you're when you're playing the Purple Raiders or when you're playing uh, the Warhawks of of Whitewater. Um, uh, let's see. Wesley also came into this game uh, basically down four starters on defense over uh, what they'd had over the course of the regular season. We've mentioned, uh, of course, in previous weeks, uh, Chris Mays, the standout defensive end. He was a two-time D3Football.com South Region Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, he got injured earlier in the playoffs, and he's been out ever since. Uh, Christian James, a freshman strong safety, actually uh, hurt his knee in practice during the middle of the week, and he was uh, uh, and he was out as well. The uh, Whitewater actually went with a a wide receiver at at uh, points on defense. Jared Morris, a a junior wideout, played a, a a fair amount of defense, and you know just a, a matter of you know what. Wesley had left to uh, to work with, with it being so banged up on that side of the ball. Yeah, I mean, in, in, you mentioned the injuries. You know, they lost Brandon Wright with the best running back in, in the middle of the season. But I thought that Wesley had enough. You know, you, you can't you can't replace Chris Mays. Guy, you know, just wreaks havoc on defense from the defensive end position. He makes the the rest of the line better. You know, and they are they're already uh you know pretty good in, in the interior line Paul Gilstrap and the rest of those guys at the defensive tackle spot uh you know ha- have been so good I thought though you know you you go back a couple of years um and you and when we're asking Mike Drass after they lose this game in the semifinals whether it be to Mountain Union or to to Whitewater you know in 09 and 2010 what's the big difference that the difference is line play you know and in as I watched this game on Saturday there were times when, you know, Mountain Union's defensive line uh, got, broke free, got a pressure on Shane McSweeney. Some of those interceptions, I think, were, were due to, you know, the rush. Um, but at the same time, there were times where McSweeney was back there with all day to throw. And, and so I and the same same thing, you know, um, 
Wesley's defensive line was able to generate pressure. So I think Wesley's reached a point now where the, their line can match up with them. And I don't think they felt that was the case necessarily. Uh, they felt it going in, in, in 2009, but I don't think they, I think if they, they got outplayed in the fourth quarter by Mountain Union's offensive line that year. I, I think this year you say, okay, you know, we matched up with them. We, 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 for every bullet they had in their chamber, we had one in the chamber and we just didn't get it done. And, and it, that's the, that's kind of the toughest thing probably for Wesley to live with uh, in the off season. As we say all that too, we do have to, to, to respect the effort and tip the hat to Mount Union. They, they earned it in the second half. Um, you take away the two, two big passes where Matt Barilli, uh, you know, just ran right by guys right down the middle of the field. And the guy is fast. Kadosu's fast. Uh, they're awful tough to defend, but you, you know, you get a 70 yard touchdown and then an 81 or 86 yard touchdown, uh, pass. And then really Wesley didn't sustain, uh, any scoring drives. They, they did move the ball and then fumble it at the end of drives. But, um, you know, Pat, Mount Union came up big when they needed to come up big. Yeah. And, uh, you mentioned the speed when, uh, Larry Carrison is, uh, in the postgame news conference commented on the fact that the, uh, that, that Mount Union really had to adjust to the speed of the Wesley players, that it uh, had been maybe not quite what they were expecting. Um, when we get later on in this podcast, we will talk about, of course, the uh, matchup between uh, Mount Union and Whitewater coming up this this weekend. But I wanted to start by uh, you know, beginning to noodle in your mind, Keith, in the minds of the listeners, the, the comparison in terms of style of quarterback between uh, between Shane McSweeney and Matt Blanchard. They're, they're both mobile. They're they're both uh, willing and, and capable to, to pull the, the ball down and run with it, um, so that's that's one thing that they have in common. And uh, you know, obviously, uh, Mount Union gave up quite a bit to McSweeney on Saturday. He had 350 yards passing and, and 62 yards rushing. Uh, one other thing for Mount Union this weekend is kind of the uh, the return, the resurgence of uh, Jasper Collins at wide receiver. It's a guy who's been uh, hurt. For uh, most of the past several weeks, he'd gotten back and, and gotten a, a little bit of playing time. But on Saturday, he was really beginning to show uh, shades of his of his former self. Nine catches, 139 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, also caught a a two point conversion pass for the uh, for the Purple Raiders. And even at that, Larry Karras said after the game that he was not at 100 percent, but he still looked pretty good. Yeah, that's a scary thought. If Jasper Collins could be better next week than he was on, on Saturday, because um, you know, he he's working back into shape. You know, Jeremy Murray, uh, remember, was banged up a little bit too and only had five carries, I think, in the second round of the playoffs against center. So, you know, the, the two most dynamic or most de- dependable, and I don't want to slight A.J. Claycomb. You know, he's another weapon for them on offense. Um, but, you know, when Jasper Collins is healthy, when Jeremy Murray is healthy, uh, that Mountain Union offense looks a lot more dangerous, you know, and, and you can see it in the way Murray was running on Saturday. You could see it uh, when Collins, not just when he got open, but when he got the ball with room to run in the open field. If they get it to him, uh, you know, in the middle of the field or on a crossing route or something like that, and he and he has it and, and he has a chance to get yards after the catch, you know, he, he's somebody who can become that dynamic offensive player and, and really put a lot of pressure on a defense. And um, that's something that Whitewater did a great job defending on Saturday against St. Thomas. So, you know, Mount Union is going to need to, to be able to attack the Whitewater defense and, and have Jasper Collins have a big game and have Jeremy Murray at full strength. And the other thing I think that stood out is that you look at them, Mount Union during the white, the Wabash game and, and having to rotate three quarterbacks in uh, because guys are banged up. 
And then uh, on Saturday, they didn't have to go through any of that. They, they Matt Pilato, I, I feel like, established himself as the guy who, who's going to start on Friday in the Stag Bowl. Yeah, I thought Pilato looked uh, looked all right. 23 of 35 passing, uh, 271 yards. He did have a, a pair of balls picked off. And I, I think one of the one of the things that I want to hear your opinion on, especially as a uh, as a as a former defensive back, um, is is his. I guess his his passing style, his form, whatever. It seems like he takes a a little bit longer to uh, to release the ball, uh, or am I just you know, are my eyes deceiving me? Well, it, it, the the thing when I'm watching Pat is that it's it's not the same pass every time, and and, and it doesn't have to be. You know, when you looked at, looked at Shane McSweeney on Saturday, some of the passes come out of his hand as darts. Some of them he puts touch on, and every quarterback has to do that. Pilato, because he's such a big body guy, and because I, I think he's been in and out of the lineup over over the years, I don't know if it's taken him time to get into a rhythm over the course of a game, but you, you saw on Saturday, he, he came out and started out with a lot of touch. You know, got in a, got in a stretch where there was there was a stretch in, in the first half where he hit you know like six out of eight passes or something like that, and he's looking really good at that point in the game. And then uh, and then you see you know either some of the bad decisions or the or the ball you know doesn't come out of his hand quite right. And uh, you know Leon Jones had the had the interceptions. I, I think Pilato when he gets in 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 a rhythm, and they were looking for this to happen last year in the Stag Bowl, and, and it didn't happen. And remember they they went to Cecil Shorts at quarterback late in that game. You know when he gets rolling. I think he does throw a nice spiral. He throws a nice ball, um, but it's not. It's got to be every time. And uh, you know, if they, if they if he's on and he takes care of the football, Mountain Union's got a chance. Uh, well, I mean, of course they got a chance, but they're much better. You know what I mean? They 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 have they're getting the ball. Jasper Collins, Jeremy Murray is, is healthy and running. You know, when you watch him run, he he bounces off the other the, uh, the whoever's trying to tackle him. You know, he, he's just he's darting around out there. So you got him, you got Pilato taking care of the football and, and getting it to where it, it needs to be. Um, I I like the the way he throws. I think he's their their best option. I haven't seen Kevin Burke play at all. I'm gonna try to watch the the Wabash DVD uh, this week, so in advance of the Stag Bowl. Uh, in case he has to come in in that game, you know, I, I can have an opinion on him. But I, I really, um, I like Matt Pilato, and I think I think he's he's when he's good, when he's on, Mount Union is on. Wesley's chances for next year. Shane McSweeney graduates. Obviously, uh, the the big uh, you know receiving threats are back. Uh, aside from uh, uh, Sean McAndrew, the the tight end who's uh, had had who's had better years than he had this year, at least uh, more prolific seasons. Uh, Justin Sadler returns. He's a guy who uh, at quarterback is uh, much more likely to throw the ball. He's not as uh, not as talented running the ball, obviously, as McSweeney is. Although I'm not sure there are many quarterbacks in Division Three who are right now. No, no, and I think that's one of the things that made McSweeney special. Is that you know, not only could he run, I mean, they they tailored the offense to him. And and next year, uh, you know, Wesley will go back to to you know maybe spread it out a little more and uh, and and let Sadler throw it. But I mean, I think that's that's fine for them because if you look at the the type of talent that they had this year, you know, Kadosu really didn't start to come into his own till you know midway through the season. Barilli, of course, had been a weapon in previous seasons, but they got the now two at least two speed burners. I like a couple of their young guys. Uh, you know, there was the the Brandon Brandon Robinson hurdler guy in the Mount Union game. Jared Morris, you mentioned playing both ways. I think they got weapons. You know, Askia Jihad. I mean, I, I, and they used Jeremiah Howe out of the backfield. He I, he may have been. Uh, a senior, but they have so many guys coming back because they were kind of young this year. And, and you look at it on the defensive end too, you know, Sustin Capapula and, and middle linebacker, you know, they're going to lose um, 
Mike Asadu and Jeff Morgan, they're two outside linebackers, but Kapapula had had a great game against Mary Harden Baylor. He you know, had a big stick uh, against um, against Mount Union. So I think they got a lot of pieces. They're, they'll they'll be right back here next year. And I think the most important thing, of course, is 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 having the quarterback in place. You know, very few teams can can turn from one you know quarterback for the ages. You know, we've seen programs, Pat and D three, where a quarterback almost carries the program for a couple of years, and when he leaves, the team goes from being a ten and O team to an eight and two type of team, or you know six and four, or whatever the case may be. Wesley's not going to have that problem. They're going to turn turn around to a guy who, you know, I'm sure he was over three thousand yards passing last year. He led led them to the semifinals last year. Different style than Shane McSweeney, but I think you know for the Wesley fans and and for the everyone in D three who's rooting for somebody to to leapfrog the purple powers uh you know i thought st thomas had a chance on saturday but they're going to lose some of some really important seniors and a real important senior class i think wesley is the team that's probably uh perched to be back here again next year you know wesley has had some some really good quarterbacks during its run uh over the last uh dozen or so years um but uh, actually, uh, looking at it now, Shane McSweeney is going to be the first guy who's going to be a, end up being a D3Football.com All-American. I don't think I'm giving away any uh, state secrets by saying he's going to be on our All-American team somewhere. Um, just as a reminder, there's some, there's some pretty good guys out there who are not going to make the team because there are just four quarterbacks out of 240 guys who, uh, who get starting nods on Saturdays. Uh, only four can be uh, on the All-American team. So guys like Chris Warwick, for example, who was a great quarterback for them back in the 90s and I think the early part of this uh, century as well, uh, were, were not All-Americans, but they've still had some, some pretty good talent at that position. Uh, one of the things I liked on Saturday, Keith, was that uh, teams... Uh, especially on offense, because that's the the part of the, the side of the ball I, I'm most able to to pick things out of. Um, did some things differently for for Mount Union. It was taking advantage of what they'd seen on film uh, against Wesley and and throwing a couple shovel passes. Uh, it was it was so foreign. In fact, as some people in the in the Mount Union press box, there was a question as to uh, whether that was a whether that counts as a pass or a run. Uh, and of course, uh, it is a it is a pass. Uh, as long as you know the officials know what the heck they're doing, um, the uh, looking over at the uh, Wisconsin Whitewater game, uh, I saw, and I'm thankfully getting to watch that on DVR uh, here on uh, on Sunday afternoon. Get a chance to to look at some things that otherwise I would not normally be able to see. But I, I continue to see, for example, uh, use of the of the fullback uh, Bernie Tamsit. They went. They uh, threw the ball to him a couple times, uh, as they've done over the course of the season. I, I just thought that you know, teams uh, are at this level, at this uh, stage of the game, especially the two teams that are left standing, are so well coached that it's very difficult to slip something by them. Yeah, I think that's one thing we got to remember that as we get, you know, now seventh year, so familiar with the same teams, it's very easy to slip into the mindset, especially if you're a couple, you know, degrees removed from from either Whitewater or Alliance Ohio. Um, you think it's the same thing over and over again. They're just doing the same things to dominate. And, and to some degree, you know, the, the teams have an identity. And I think Whitewater, maybe more so than Mount Union, has a you know clear, consistent method of dominance. But at the same time, every game is different. Every cast of players is different. And these these two of the, I mean, clearly two of the best coaches uh, 
in, in Division Three, not just because um, you know they they have good situations and and they were able to recruit well and all that, but they they make the adjustments that you need to make, and you and you see things like that, Pat, that you picked out. Um, you know, to to see Mountain Union uh, went back and watched the Linfield film and said, "Hey, Linfield hit hit a shovel pass for a big play in that game." Uh, you know, you watch that first half of a team having success against Wesley's defense. There aren't aren't too many halves of film that that you could watch this season where somebody moved the ball on Wesley's defense. So Mountain Union goes back to that and picked picked out a couple of things uh, that Linfield did. I thought Linfield, you know, really forced Wesley in the first half of that game to defend the whole field, shovel passes, screens, swing pass. Deep shots, use the middle of the field, use the the you know throwing the ball on out routes along the sidelines. I mean, made the defense really work, and and Mountain Union took some of those elements and uh, had success with them. And in the uh, in the Whitewater St. Thomas game, uh, St. Thomas's uh, season ends with a twenty to nothing loss in the national semifinals. I think one of the things that you and I kind of both picked out of that game and watching it is that uh, St. Thomas pretty much emptied its bag of tricks. They did a, a whole lot of different things to try to get the offense moving. And, and, you know, in a sense, there were times in which uh, St. Thomas was able to string some plays together. Uh, you know, you look at, you think about what, um, you know, what, what Whitewater's uh, run defense normally looks like. And, you know, Colin Tobin did it, get 82 yards rushing. Uh, Dakota Tracy ran for 62 yards himself. Um, but, you know, St. Thomas was able to do almost nothing throwing the ball. And uh, in a week where the week before Fritz Waldvogel was able to get beyond uh, the St. John Fisher defense twice for easy scores, just in a half, uh, he basically got nothing opened uh, down the field on Saturday. Yeah. And you can almost, uh, you know, if you have an eye for it, see what Brian Borland was thinking. He's a defensive coordinator, longtime defensive coordinator for, for Whitewater and somebody who's, you know, very rarely going to be out coached as well. So, you know, they, they said, okay, if, if you're going to slow St. Thomas down, uh, you know, we got to get to Colin Tobin, the running back, tackle him, wrap him up, and then we have to, to take Fritz Wall Vogel away. And what they did, at least on, you know, some of the deep shots that uh, that they took during the game, is you would see a, a safety over the top of him, and then you would see a cornerback running underneath him. So, you know, they're, you know, we call it, you call it bracketing him, you could call it trail coverage. Um, you know, they were devoting a lot of two guys to Fritz Wall Vogel. Uh, at least sometimes, you know, I don't know if they if they if they were doing it every play because the TV angle doesn't give you, you know, the same angle that the that the coach's film would have where you could follow a guy and, and really pick that stuff out. But I mean, there, when when you would see Wald Vogel running down the field and, and you know St. Thomas made up his mind that they were going to take a shot down the middle, run a post. There's a safety running deeper than him, and then there's a corner running underneath him. There's two guys who have their eye on him, and, and it was at least a couple of times, uh, you know, I picked that out off the film where they they they. They tried to lull um, Whitewater to sleep, and then and then catch him, you know, deep, and it worked against everybody else during the season. Fritz Waldvogel maybe has that deceptive speed. Maybe it's just because they St. Thomas has so much success running that you get you get teams starting to want to jump up in there and make tackles, and all of a sudden Waldvogel runs by you. Whitewater never let it happen. They stayed very disciplined, and uh, in the secondary, and, and they and you know there was even a time Pat where. It was a double reverse, yeah. Uh, flea flicker. So they gave the ball to Tobin. Tobin gives it to Waldvogel coming back around. Waldvogel flicks it back to Dakota Tracy, and uh, Tra- Tracy wants wants to huck it deep down the field. Uh, it's not there, so he throws it to Tobin, who had snuck out the backfield, and uh, you know it was a big gain for them. But not a, it's not you know when you design a flea flicker, you're trying to get a touchdown out of it rather than you know 20 yards uh, throw back to to the back, who, the original guy who touched the ball. 
you know, the defense figures once he throws it, once he gives it to the reverse guy, his job is done. And, and Tobin actually snuck out of there and, and made a big catch. But, you know, St. Thomas tried everything. They they went to deep shots. They put they put drives together, too, I thought, early in the game and uh, didn't get points out of them. And that, that hurt them a lot, too, because once Whitewater got that lead up to 17 and 20, you know, they just kind of put their hands around the neck and just strangle the game by by just milking the clock doing what they do best, running the ball at Lavelle Coppage. And, uh, and, you know, the first drive of the second half was, what, like seven, eight minutes. Yep. And, you know, you're trying to get back in the game down by three scores. That's awful tough when somebody could take eight minutes out of, out of your last 30. St. Thomas, uh, their their first uh, – well, their first drive of the game was a three and out. Uh, Whitewater comes down and scores. And here's one of those drives you mentioned, Keith. Uh, they go 14 plays for 54 yards and then uh, turn the ball over on downs. Uh, their next drive – uh, now they're down 10 nothing after Whitewater adds a field goal. Uh, St. Thomas comes down, puts together a 10-play drive, and misses just misses a 31-yard field goal. I, I think that, um, you know, in a sense, I don't want to say the game was necessarily over at that point, but it became, you know, pretty clear that St. Thomas was not going to have the kind of success it was accustomed to, and those are the kind of things that can, that can wear on you a little bit mentally. St. Thomas just basically never got uh, – they, they had, you know, one other drive of, of more than, let's see, more than 35 yards after that. It's hard to score that way, obviously. Yeah. And, and, you know, mentally, you know, we used to always say you got to get that zero off the board, the first three points, even, you know, if it's not a touchdown, that's the first one that that's the hardest one to get. Once you break the seal, then maybe the points come after that. And that's, that's just maybe a thing that's in the, in the player's mind. You start, uh, you get into the second half and you haven't scored yet. And especially a team like St. Thomas, the average is 40 points a game. And, you know, everything they try works over the course of a season. It's tough for them to stay patient and say, look, this is going to, something's going to happen for us eventually. And, and, and to their credit, they they stayed with it. But once they got behind 20 and, and Whitewater was able to milk the clock and and and, and defensively turn St. Thomas into a, a slow a team that's just going to take away chunks a little, a little bit at a time. And uh, St. Thomas, you know, they, they were content to take it and then they were going to try to take their shots. And every time they went to take their shots, Whitewater's defense was, was over the top of it. And I thought, that, you know, that's the way you lose a game. That's where you lose a lead by, by being undisciplined in your defense, by, by taking unnecessary risks. And Whitewater didn't do any of that. Once they got the lead you know, they played it safe and said, let's, let's get out of here with the win and head on down to Salem. One of the things that uh, impressed me about this game uh, was – St. Thomas on defense. So they were, first of all, um, you know, Coppage goes 110 yards. It needs 30 carries to do so. Uh, there were four times in which he was tackled behind the line of scrimmage by my count, five times when he was tackled for no gain. And, and that's an instance where you know St. Thomas had come in with a, a pretty good run defense uh, statistically over the course of the uh, of the season, including the playoffs. And, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily manifest itself quite as well against Whitewater because Whitewater is this uh, is this prolific offense. But I thought they did a, a fairly decent job of keeping the uh, the Warhawks offense in check as much as possible. Yeah, especially, Pat, if you consider, I think it was right after the missed field goal, um, Coppage broke off a 44-yard run. So if he was 30 for 110, one of those runs was a 44-yard run. That means you take it down the around 65 now 30 for 65 to to you know a little over two yards a carry uh if if my fast math is correct there you know i mean coppage he, he didn't have a um a day for the ages but he he did enough 
you know, to keep uh, St. Thomas defense honest. And, and he did enough to milk the clock when, when Whitewater needed to milk the clock. But at, at the same time, you know, St. Thomas didn't get blown off the field. And that's what has to be encouraging and discouraging for the rest of D3. When you see a team like St. Thomas, a program that's clearly been building toward this, every year winning more games, taking, you know, go, going further in the playoffs, becoming, you know, a, a team that would hang around the top 25 to be in the teens to, you know, now they're, they're conference champions and, and moved into the semifinals, a team that's ready to take the step to Salem. In any other division, let's say, let's say D2, you don't have these two dominant programs at the top. You know, St. Thomas is a team that's ready to crest right now and win a championship. Wesley is that that type of program. Uh, it's got to be a, a little bit discouraging to know that um, this program had its seniors, you know, not just offensively, the big three, but some of the, the great players on defense were seniors. St. Thomas's team was ready, you know, to, to make that leap, to go on to Salem and uh, to break up the the Whitewater Mountain Union dominance. And, and they didn't get blown off the field on Saturday. They just weren't the better, better team. And once you fall behind Whitewater, uh, I, I think, I mean, I'm just amazed by uh, uh, Whitewater. They're so smart in the sense that once they get ahead, they take care of the football and, and they stick to the run. You know, they're, they're generally, if not bigger and stronger, they're tougher than the teams they play are as tough, you know, tough enough not to get bullied around. And, uh, and, and, you know, again, St. Thomas didn't get manhandled in that game, but, but Whitewater did enough to, uh, to go ahead and, and, and sort of pound away at it over the course of the second half, once they had that lead, you know, St. Thomas just never could get back into the game. You, you got to tip your hat to the St. Tom, to the Whitewater defense too, for never letting St. Thomas catch a break. And I think the other thing that we haven't mentioned yet is that Matt Blanchard uh, really had a nice first half and then took care of the ball. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and in fact, to be honest with you, when I went back and looked at the final stats after watching the game, I was, I was kind of surprised to see that he only ended up with, with 39 yards rushing. Uh, it seemed like he had, uh, a lot more positive yardage than that, and I know obviously, yes, the the uh, the sack stats come out of your uh, of your quarterback rushing stats in college, but uh, Blanchard was not sacked on Saturday, so that was not a uh, that was not an issue. Um, it just it, it seemed like yeah he played a he played a, a really good game to be honest with you, and and that's why um, I wanted to talk about him in comparison to McSweeney. Not that obviously that those two guys. Um, are uh, are on the same echelon per se, but you know they have, in, in, in at least some sense, similar skill sets, and that Blanchard is capable of uh, bringing the ball down and, and running against Mount Union on Friday night, and, and that seemed to be something that uh, Mount Union might have had trouble with. Well, I think the big similarity, you know, between the two is that uh, you know the big body. I mean, Matt Blanchard is six three. Um, you know, Shane McSweeney is 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 over 220 pounds. Matt Blanchard, man, you know, if you, you look at his headshot on the website, the guy looks like a linebacker, you know, big, big neck and, and big broad shoulders. I mean, he, you know, it, it's nice to have your quarterback be someone who, who's one of your tougher players too, you know, who could take a hit, who can deliver a hit if he has to. That's, um, that, that's certainly a, a pretty big luxury, but you know, this, the win on Saturday really, I think goes to, to Matt Blanchard's head, not his, uh, his, his physical attributes, but the fact that he was 14 of 19 passing, no interceptions. And part of that's on the coaching staff, you know, too, once they got ahead, they didn't need to take any unnecessary chances, but, but I mean, um, 
a lot of it is on, is on Matt Blanchard to be, again, 14 and 19, was, was able to hit big plays, you know, when they needed him. He, he had a 40-yard pass to Tyler Huber. Uh, Huber finishes with six catches and 109 yards. So, I mean, they, they, they were able to move the ball through the air, and then they just fed it to Coppage uh, in the second half when they needed to. But, uh, Pat, and it's funny that you're impressed with the – you know, his running ability and, and the fact that, you know, when, when he needs to bring it down and get the team a first down, he could do that. I, I was really impressed with the fact that, that he took care of the ball and uh, made really good decisions on Saturday. Sometimes, too, you know, when you're a quarterback, the best throw is the, is the throw you don't make, you know, and, and he didn't throw any interceptions. Uh, and you mentioned Tyler Huber. I, I like Huber. He's uh, 75 catches for 1,209 yards this season. You know, obviously, anything that happens in the Whitewater offense other than Lavelle Coppage and in a uh, and to an extent uh, to Matt Blanchard is really gets overshadowed. But uh, you know these are guys, uh, you know him, Corey Robinson, who's back this year, uh, Ford, the tight end. I really like these are guys who are uh, kind of unsung, but certainly key parts of that offense as well. Yeah, I think Tyler Huber is one of those guys that we're getting to know, and we we may get to know him more as, as we go forward here. It, it's sort of the formula too for Whitewater to have the dominant running back to have the quarterback who, uh, you know, has multiple skills and, and takes care of the ball. Uh, you know, whether you, you go back to Jones, uh, Donovan, any of those guys, uh, Justin Jacobs, but, but that you know, having the receiver, that's a threat, whether it's Derek Stanley, uh, Adam Brandis was that guy for a while. And now we're seeing Tyler Huber emerge as that because you have to have a threat in the passing game to, uh, to, to make the running game be what it is, you know? All right, so we got uh, on on Friday night. We'll have Matt Blanchard making his first start in the Stag Bowl. Of course, remember, uh, Whitewater was here last year. He was the quarterback at the uh, at the start of the season and through the entire regular season uh, before breaking his thumb. And Lee Brecky took over a quarterback for the entirety of the rest of the regular season. You know, as I've been noodling this uh, ponderance over in my head, I'm not so concerned about Matt Blanchard making his first start in the Stag Bowl, but maybe uh, Blanchard facing Mount Union really for the first time. Yeah, but the, but they won last year with with Lee Brecky, a guy who hadn't really started until the beginning of the playoffs, and he was facing Mount Union for the first time. You know, Danny Jones uh, only played for one year at Whitewater and, and had to come in and face uh, Mount Union for the first time. And I think that goes back to the coaching staff. They they tailor them themselves to to do what Whitewater does well. I, I think you know if you talk about Mount Union, Mount Union coaches. I feel like they adjust to their players' skill set better than most. And, and Whitewater gets its players to play within the system better than most. In other words, a quarterback, um, you know, again, takes care of the football. They, they feed the running backs. And, and, but I think to a degree, too, Whitewater takes advantage of, of, of what they have. And uh, you could flip that, that around, Pat, that first observation. You know, maybe it's Matt Blanchard's first game against Mount Union, but it's also Mount Union's defense first time to see Matt Blanchard. I think that uh, you know the thing with uh, Whitewater is they've been capable and they've done it, winning stag bowls with some pretty, um, I'm just going to say unimpressive passing stats. Uh, Brecky last year, eight of 22 with three interceptions. Uh, you mentioned Danny Jones uh, back in 2007, uh, completing nine of 24 passes. You know those are nights in which uh, Justin Beaver goes 31 for 249, and Lavelle Coppage ran for 299 yards in support of Brecky last year as well. Right. I mean, those are silly rushing numbers, you know, not just the 299, but he had the, the, you know, the 39 carries, 
who who feeds their running back 40 almost 40 times uh, in a championship game but pat we talked about this over the course of the season through the podcast sometimes whitewater because they're the margin in the games and because they know that they're going to be playing deep in december is uh they take it easy on coppage over the course of the season and then they start to ramp him up in november and december and now they're feeding him the ball 30 times against st thomas you know you may see another 30 carries if necessary uh, on friday night against uh, against mount union and I think that's maybe the big variable in this game is that we know Mount Union has some questions offensively. You know, if everybody's healthy, you know, if, if Pilato is on, if Jasper Collins is 100%, if Jeremy Murray is 100%, then maybe, you know, they, they could be a dynamic offense. But we haven't seen a whole lot of dynamic offense out of them this season. So we know that if Mount Union's going to win, they're going to have to play great defense. And that's where the, the adjustment you know, the, the, the something we've never seen before, the coaching thing that, that every year, you know, you, you see a Larry Karras team uh, break out something that, that they pick out something from the game film that, that, that have, they haven't shown all year or that they, had, they find a weakness in the other team that hasn't been exploited all year. And then they go after that. I feel like that's what the defense maybe is where that's going to come from on, on Friday night. It has... Have they spent the offseason studying Whitewater, and are they going to figure out a way to slow down the rushing attack? And if they do, are we going to have to see Matt Blanchard maybe win the game with his arm? You know, is he going to have to find Tyler Huber uh, and and take you know play that kind of game that he played on Saturday with, with without throwing any turnovers uh, and having you know maybe you know be a fourteen of nineteen or or twenty of twenty five or twenty two of thirty to have that kind of passing day because. You, you have to figure Mountain Union's been burning up the past two years, losing these games to Whitewater, and they're going to come up with something defensively, especially having such a great defense, to try to slow down LaFell Coppage. It is uh, certainly going to be interesting to see how, how it all plays out on Friday night. Uh, you know, one of the things that happened over the course of this week is uh, the game got bumped up a level from ESPNU to ESPN2. Um, I haven't checked my... Uh, uh, my schedule, but I think it might actually be simulcast on the on the both of them. I'm not entirely sure, but you can find it on ESPN2. That gets it in a lot more households uh, than it would be if it were just on ESPNU. And, and for that matter, uh, talking about uh, television broadcast and coverage in Division Three, I wanted to get your take because I think uh, I, I believe you've watched at least parts of both games. I only saw uh, the Whitewater St. Thomas game on television because I was at the Mount Union game. But what do you think of uh, the broadcasting this weekend? Yeah, I thought it was pretty good in the sense that um, the guys knew what they were talking about when it came to the teams. There's no way you can replicate kind of what you and I do. You can't. You, there, there's no broadcaster, I, I don't think, that can come in, parachute into the game, learn about these teams a couple of days before, and then talk about some of the you know facts that we pull out from previous years. Or like you know you, when you see a run in the Stag Bowl and we immediately flash back to – you know, Nate Kamick, you know, when we saw, um, do we remember, oh, that was like Chuck Moore did that 2001. You, those guys can't do that. But the thing they can do is be familiar with the teams, uh, you know, educate, especially when they're speaking to people who don't watch a lot of D3 games. And when you, you know, when you get the game on ESPN three, um, when it was, you know, a TV station in every market, you know, St. Thomas, around St. Thomas, around Wesley, uh, around Ohio, around Wisconsin, local stations picked up the games. So you have people watching the games that don't watch it maybe as much as the diehards, as much as the people listen to this podcast. I thought it, they did a good job communicating what D3 was about to them. 
But at the same time, you have, um, you know, calling teams Hobart instead of Hobart. And, uh, um, you know, they were calling him Chris Knapp instead of Chip Knapp. I mean, some of those things, I I guess we all make those mistakes. You know, um, one of the, you know, one of the radio broadcasts was, was, was calling, was calling Matt Borelli, Matt Barley. So, I mean, other people besides the TV uh, guys make mistakes. We make mistakes, I'm sure, sometimes when we're on. But um, the familiar—I felt like they did a good job representing D3, even though they don't have that depth of knowledge. Uh, I, I look at it this way, and again, I only watched—I only watched the one. Um, but I was—I was happy in that it was respectful of Division Three. And there have been some stag bowls, uh, some stag bowl broadcasts on ESPN that have not been particularly respectful of Division Three. So. Uh, you know, obviously the uh, the lack of depth of knowledge and you know maybe uh, pronunciations here and there uh, is certainly an issue. But at least uh, the parts that I saw, uh, you know, took some care for Division Three, where in in the past maybe they haven't always had that opportunity or that uh, professionalism, I guess. Yeah, and and they you know were excited about the game. You know, in the Mountain Union Wesley game, they're they're praising the hitting and and talking about. Uh, extraordinary athleticism of some of the guys. And that's something that, um, you know, when you, when people who don't really pay close attention to D3, you just figure, Oh, it's just a, you know, a bunch of, bunch of guys who couldn't make it at D1 playing, you know, and, and a lot of times these are guys who are, who are really superb athletes that are, that are just, you know, five, nine and one eighty, or, or, uh, you know, they, they are a step, a step slower or they had an injury for instance, in their junior year or their senior year in high school, and they didn't get recruited big and, and they found a home in D3, and that's fine. Uh, that's sort of what makes it, the division great, but I'm glad that they do. They they, they uh, were, were praised, praising the game, talking about the guys who I feel like they, they earn a level of respect, and, uh, and yeah, they definitely they got it. So um, and when there's things to quibble about, we will certainly quibble with them, but I thought uh, this is a definitely a step in the right direction to have these games broadcast the semifinals, you know, we'll just keep pushing. Maybe next year we'll, uh, we'll see, can we get some quarterfinals on, you know, because uh, the further down the line you go to the more different uh, division three schools can get on TV and get that exposure and, uh, and in different places we can go around the country too, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, what's coming up, this weekend, of course, uh, Friday, the uh, the big tailgate party in the uh, in the Salem Stadium parking lot will be there broadcasting live, uh, starting, I guess, probably about five o'clock p.m. Eastern time. We haven't uh, formally uh, locked that down, I guess, but that's about the time that we're looking at to get two hours of pregame coverage, uh, including the announcement of the D3Football.com All-American teams. Uh, Keith and I will, uh, along with Frank Rossi, will do an audio broadcast of the championship game uh, on Ustream. That gives you uh, the ability to listen to it on your iPhone, for example. Obviously, we don't have rights to broadcast video of that game that, uh, that as I mentioned before, will be on ESPN. Uh, for those of you who are um, who have an a internet service provider that gives you access to ESPN3, you can watch the video online uh, as well. And uh, you, can, you can watch it that way. You can Certainly turn the sound down on ESPN and listen to us. I think that uh, the last couple of years, the audio and the video have synced up really well. And um, you know, you, we would certainly welcome your listening. And then, you know, even if you watch the game somewhere else, come on back to us because we'll have at least an hour of post-game coverage uh, just kind of basing on previous seasons, uh, maybe more. We'll have uh, the entirety of the post-game news conferences 
and then our uh, our final wrap up of the season, we'll name the uh, offensive, defensive uh, players of the year and uh, the coach of the year during that post game show as well. Um, and of course, that uh, that's what happens on Friday. Two nights earlier, we will be broadcasting the uh, Gallardi Trophy ceremony, and uh, you know, Keith will have a a role in that as well, which uh, I'll ask him to tell you about now. Yeah, yeah, I've been asked to um, to host the Gallardi Trophy ceremony, so. Um, if you were able to watch it last year, there was a, they, they did a real nice job of turning it into a full ceremony where each, each guy is, um, you know, interviewed a little bit of back and forth and then they, they'll show a montage of, of, uh, you know, a little bit about their life and, uh, and some of the, their play. So I think I'll be having a role on stage, uh, in terms of, uh, you're talking a little bit to, uh, to Alex Tanny, Michael Zwiefel, Fritz Waldvogel and Matt Blanchard, who, uh, Matt will have a game on Friday, the other guys, uh, we're all in the playoffs and uh, wanted to be in Salem. So we'll, we'll ask them a little bit about that. And obviously they're different um, exploits. You know, each of them really kind of interesting guys in their own in their own right. Um, you know, you, from the trick shot video from Alex Tanny and the Zwiefel playing for his dad and playing at two different schools and playing both ways. And uh, obviously Fritz Waldvogel, you know, being a big part of the program, uh, going in the right direction at St. Thomas. So there'll be a lot, lot to talk about uh, individually. And I mean, if you're a diehard enough to uh, to listen to this podcast this deep in, you, you'll you'll love the Gallardi Trophy ceremony. I, I loved it last year, having a chance to watch it. And then, uh, Pat, what you mentioned about us on Friday, that uh, that hour after the game, if you really, really love D3 football enough to listen to this, then then that kind of that stuff that we do after the game, not just um, talking about the Stag Bowl itself, but we, but we kind of reminisce on the whole season. And uh, if you can't stay out that late. Uh, I believe we always post it as a podcast, too, yes. so you can uh, – that'll be our final podcast of the year. There'll be one more for you next week uh, to listen to if, if it's your habit on your lunch hour on Mondays at work. We, uh, we won't leave you hanging next Monday. So, yeah, Keith will be on the Gallardi Trophy Ceremony. Uh, Frank Rossi and I will be hosting our uh, our our, our Gallardi Trophy Ceremony show, basically. We'll be uh, – will be the uh, the folks on the video stream. You'll be able to watch that. Uh, come back to d3football.com on Wednesday night, and you will not be able to miss that because we will want to make sure you get to see uh, everything that's going on there at, uh, on, on that night when the uh, top all-around student-athlete in Division three football is revealed. Um, shoot, a lot of other things uh, this week as well. We'll have feature stories, and Keith will have – uh, around the nation year in review as well. And tell us a little bit about that while, uh, while I have seven more minutes to fill. Just, uh, just we, kidding. We, you don't have to take the whole seven. Okay. Because I was going to say, well, let's start, you could. At the, let's start in week one. <laughs> no, no, in all seriousness, the, um, because we run that danger of, of, I guess, thinking every year is just another year where for the purple Raiders and Warhawks meet in Salem. And you get to this point in the year where you've sort of forgotten about some of the things that happened in September and October. Uh, I always like to, you know, go back and, and comb through uh, some of the numbers and some of the outstanding occurrences, things that happened during the year um, that, uh, you know, that we, that, that you, I guess you forget about by the time you get into, into December. And uh, that's always been well received in the past when I've been able to do it. I don't think it's going to be quite as in depth as some of those years where we broke it into three parts and had, you know, photos to go with it and all that stuff. But, um, but it's always fun to, to look back. So, um, I know there, there's besides Mount Union and Whitewater and besides even Wesley and St. Thomas, you know, there, there are stories and, and, um, 
numbers and, and, and things that stand out that were kind of off the beaten path that, uh, that we always like to recall. And the other thing is to review uh, how the preseason picks went and, uh, and and how things turned out. And Pat, you mentioned it in the beginning, the, the very top of D3 um, finished out about the way it started, but the surprises, you know, if you say the same teams keep getting to Salem, there were a lot of surprise stories. I thought Kane was one of them. Uh, you know, and they had to get knocked out in, in the triple overtime game. Um, you know, Wabash, that, that great finish against North Central in the second round of the playoffs, things like that. Um, you know, there, there is drama in D3, even if it's the same two teams in, in Salem uh, manufacturing their drama between just the two of them. You know, the, the, the 237 of the rest of us have our own uh, drama that, that, that stretched out over the course of the season. So we like to look back at some of that. And although it is, yes, this, the same two teams at the end of this regular season, we have uh, perhaps the completion or at least uh, the seventh game in a series, a rubber match as Wisconsin Whitewater and Mount Union have each won three of the past six Division Three football national championships. Uh, I'm Pat Coleman, and he's Keith McMillan, and uh, wrapping up the Around the Nation podcast for the week of Monday, December 12, 2011.